Hey everyone, this is Jim, and today I want to talk about facing your future with faith, not fear. Over the last several years, many people I know have gone through a variety of tests and trials in their lives. The year 2008 was a tough year for many. Jobs were lost, homes were lost, investments and more. I'll admit, the year and a few that followed weren't exactly the best for me either. Over the last few years, many have asked, are we in the last days? That's when I began to think about what that really means. All of our days eventually come to an end. As a believer, I believe what the Apostle Paul said in the letter to the Philippians. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, this is the American King James Version. It says, I am in a strait between two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better Let me just stop right there and take a look at that scripture. There's better and there's far better. In other words, it's far better on the other side if you're a believer than it is here on this side. Even so, we're here for a reason. Jesus said in John chapter 17 verses 14 through 18, it says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. In this section here, Jesus is praying to God the Father. In verse 15 it says, I pray not that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through your truth. Your word is truth. And as you have sent me into the world... Even so have I sent them into the world. Notice Jesus said, I pray not that you should take them out of the world. In other words, we're here for a reason. We're here as a light to the world. Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, even so I also sent them. When I think about Jesus, I think about someone who overcame everything. He overcame death And he overcame everything evil that led up to that point. That includes demons, the problems brought to him by the masses, that includes sickness, disease, and more, attempts on his life, physical storms, lack of food. It's a pretty big list. That same Jesus is now with you through the Holy Spirit and your faith. Remember Jesus said, Nothing shall be impossible to those who believe. That was in Mark chapter 9, verse 23, and Matthew seventeen twenty. He also said, I will always be with you. When you look at scriptures like these, you can see why we have to walk by faith and not by sight. When you believe in any given situation, the limits are removed from what God can do in your life. When you walk in fear instead of faith, you restrict what God can do, and you enable the evil forces to have access to your life. We understand these basics. We may not understand every little point of every little matter, but we do understand the basics because the Bible's really plain about it. A perfect example of this is in Psalm 78, verses 40 through 42. It says, How oft they did provoke him, talking about God, in the wilderness, and grieved him in the desert. Yes, they turned back and tempted God and limited the Holy One of Israel. They remembered not his hand, nor the day when he delivered them from the enemy. In those verses, you can see the Israelites limited God. 
and we can do the same today. You see, from a theological standpoint, it feels good to say it's all God, God's in control, and we can't do anything. According to the Bible, though, it's God who blesses the work of your hands. In other words, you have to do something. The Holy Spirit, Jesus called the Holy Spirit the Helper, comes to be by your side and work together with you. The praying and the believing are things you do. The Holy Spirit, the Helper, assists you. If you do nothing, you reap nothing. If you speak words of faith, God watches over his word to perform it, according to Jeremiah 1.12. You proclaim the truth, you speak the good news of the gospel, and God confirms it with signs following. In 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6, it says David encouraged himself in the Lord. There it says, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Remember, the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our problems and our challenges appear outwardly to be 100% physical or circumstantial in nature. The Bible reveals a much different picture, though. In Mark chapter 4, verse 17, it says, Satan comes immediately to steal the word from you when it's preached or spoken. Why? Because that's how faith comes. That's your living connection on earth to God the Father through Jesus. If Satan steals the word, he also robs you of having a living faith at work within you. You're like a bird with a broken wing stuck in adversity with limited options available to you. If your faith is stolen and you fall into doubt or unbelief, fear closely follows. By faith, you always see a way out. Faith sees the victory. Fear, on the other hand, sees the exact opposite. It sees loss, defeat, and death. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear. Fear seems to have a stronghold in many lives, though, doesn't it? Some Christians are hoping for the rapture to come and save them from their current circumstances. This reminds me of Jesus with the disciples on the boat in the midst of the storm on the Sea of Galilee. They cried out to him saying, Don't you care that we're perishing? After he rebuked the wind and the waves, he asked them, Where was your faith? I guess the answer to that question was, It was buried beneath their fears of death and drowning. If you're wondering why, or where God is, I should say, in your situation, and you're asking God, where are you? Maybe he's asking you the same question that Jesus asked his disciples that day. Where is your faith? Notice that Jesus didn't pray for God the Father to remove the storm. In that situation, he spoke to it and he told the wind and the waves to be still, and they obeyed. In your own life, you can ask God for the things you have need of in Jesus' name. You can also speak to the obstacles and the demons and tell them to go. Jesus taught asking in his name. But he also taught commanding in his name and speaking to mountains in Mark eleven twenty three. That's one example. Jesus spoke to obstacles. He always did. He spoke to the wind and the waves. He spoke to unclean spirits and told them to go. He spoke to sick people and told them to be healed. Sometimes he laid his hands on people and healed them. 
Sometimes he touched them and spoke. He basically taught how to do what he do what he did to his disciples by a combination of word and deed. In other words, he watched or they watched what he did and what he said. And then in the book of Acts, you can see that they basically imitated him. They went out and they preached the good news that Jesus saved, healed, and delivered. And then they spoke words of faith to people who were sick or oppressed. And they received the same end result. Some might say, well, you know, I spoke to the problem in Jesus' name, but it's still there. If that happens, don't start doubting. Keep believing. Keep thanking God that you have the victory. And don't give up. That's what Jesus said to do in Luke chapter 18, verse 1. He spoke an entire parable about not giving up. Paul put it this way. In Ephesians 6.13, he said, Having done all to stand, stand. You do the standing. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, will help you stand if you focus on God and His promises instead of your problem. You stand by talking your faith out loud. You stand by thanking God for the answer before you can see it. You stand by trusting that your sins are forgiven and that you're worthy to receive and walk in the victory through Jesus Christ. You fight the good fight of faith, 1 Timothy 6.12. Some fights are over quickly, others aren't. The thing is, we're not fighting alone. The Holy Spirit is with us, helping us. You just have to choose to believe that. Notice how the devil works in the following verses. In Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, it says, How you are fallen, O Lucifer, son of morning, how you are cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations. We can take the word nations out and replace it with people, because that's what nations are, groups of people. Satan weakens people through fear, doubt, worry, and other negative evil things. You may feel like God is far away and isn't helping you, The situation may seem to confirm that feeling. You may feel like the victory will never come. But that's one of the things we're fighting. We're fighting feelings, thoughts, reasonings, and emotions that oppose or go against what God promised us through Christ. Healing, deliverance, restoration, all these things, the Bible say, belong to you in Christ. And in the world to come, eternal life. We all face the same enemies to our faith. Fight those feelings with faith. Say aloud so you can hear your own words. These feelings are lies. God loves me. God is for me. I'm forgiven, healed, delivered, and restored. I have the victory in Jesus Christ no matter how I feel. That's faith. Challenge your negative feelings with the spoken word. Confront the lies out loud. You don't have to shout or increase the volume of your voice. You just have to mean what you say on the inside. You have to get tired of being down. Say out loud, This feeling of tiredness isn't from God. My strength is being renewed in Jesus' name. You may have to say that out loud several times before you notice a change. There were times in the past where I just said the same thing over and over and over again for about 30 minutes. I was so tired, it was like my mind had shut down, and all I could do was say the words like a broken record. I wasn't even thinking about things like, is this working? Or, 
Do I really believe what I'm saying? I just said the words. Then all of a sudden, poof, just like that, I was back to normal. That's how God's power works sometimes. Words have power in the spiritual world or the spiritual dimension. That's why the Bible warns against idle words in Matthew 12.36. Just because we don't see results immediately doesn't mean our words are without power. Proverbs chapter 18 verses 20 and 21 say, A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth, and with the increase of his lips he shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Verse 20 says, With the increase of his lips he shall be filled. That's why most people aren't filled with whatever it is they have need of. Because they won't increase the words of life they're speaking over situations. You have to keep saying you have the victory in Jesus' name and whatever situation you need it in. If you start speaking like it isn't working and start speaking like it may not happen, you're releasing death instead of life. It's like pouring salt water on a plant. There's a little known story Finally, I want to talk to you about in 2 Kings chapter 4. It talks about a woman who understood how the power of the tongue works so well that when she needed the prophet Elijah's help, she wouldn't even voice what had happened to her son. She understood how the spiritual dimension worked. Instead, she said it is well, and she made Elijah come to her house to face the problem directly. In 2 Kings chapter 4, starting in verse 15, it says, And he said, Call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the door. And he said, About the season, according to the time of life, you shall embrace a son. And she said, No, my Lord, you man of God, do not lie to your handmaiden. In other words, God brought a promise to her through the prophet Elijah because she had helped the prophet. And she just thought that this miracle, this answer to prayer was just too big to happen to someone like her. But happened, it did. In verse 17, it says, And the woman conceived and bore a son at that season that Elijah had said to her according to the time of life. Now, here's the interesting thing about this. You know, the Bible just records, doesn't record everything that people talk about, everything they did. It just tells the story with enough detail in it so that you understand the lesson. Now, listen to what happened. It said, And when the child was grown, it fell on a day that when he went out to his uh, when he went out to his father to the reapers, he said to his father, "My head, my head." And he, the father, said to the lad, or to a lad, "Carry him to his mother." And when he had taken him, he brought him to his mother, and he sat on her knees till noon, and then died. So obviously, something ruptured in his head while he was working out in the field. The father said to one of the other men who was helping to carry his son back to the mother, and there he was laying until noon, and then he died. This is what the mother did. Verse 21. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, and shut the door on him and went out. And she called to her husband and said, Send me, I pray you, one of the young men and one of the asses, that I may run to the man of God and come again. So in other words, she knew where to get help. And he said, Why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, it shall be well. 
Notice she didn't go into a great explanation. Our son is dead. Uh, I'm going to the man of God for a miracle. He's our only help. The reason why she probably didn't do this was because if she said that she was believing God, trusting God for a miracle, he probably would have talked her out of it or laughed or done any of the things that the people do when they're driven by doubts, fears, and unbelief. Then she saddled the ass or an ass and said to her servant, drive and go forward. Slack not your riding for me, except I bid you. So she went and came to the man of God to Mount Carmel. And it came to pass, when the man of God saw her afar off, he said to Gehazi his servant, Behold yonder that Shunammite. She was a Shunammite woman. That was the, the area that she lived in. Run now, I pray you, to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. So the servant goes out. On the re- at the request of Elisha, and says to her, "Is everybody doing okay? Is your husband okay? Are you okay? Is your child okay?" This is this was her answer in verse twenty six. She answered and said, "It is well." And when she came to the man, of, when the she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet. But, but Gehazi, the servant, came near to thrust her away. And the man of God said, "Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her." And the Lord has hid it from me and has not told me. In other words, he knew that something was wrong. Why didn't she just blurt out, my son is dead, come and raise him back up from the dead? Because obviously, she had already received a miracle in giving birth to begin with. Elisha must have taught her about the power of the tongue. He must have taught her Proverbs 18.21, that death and life is in the power of the tongue. And with the increase of your lips, you shall be filled. And she didn't want this situation to be filled with more death. She wanted life. So she understood to the point where she wasn't even willing to open her mouth and say what the visible circumstances were. Listen what she says. Listen how she communicates. Verse 28. Then she said, Did I desire a son of my Lord? Did I not say, Do not receive me? Do not deceive me. So you can see there, what is she saying? Going back to the very first verse that we read. He said, you shall embrace the son according to the time of life. And she said, no, my Lord, you are a man of God. Do not lie to your handmaiden. So suddenly a miracle happens, but now it looks like it's been reversed. A blessing has been reversed by a curse Her son suddenly just died. But she wouldn't come out and say it like that. She just wouldn't speak words of death. And it's not a coincidence that she didn't. You'll notice Jesus did it the same way. He said that Lazarus was sleeping when he in fact was dead. And the the disciples said, well, hey, that's good that he's sleeping. If he's sick, maybe he's going to get better. And finally, Jesus plainly had to tell them he was dead. But this woman wouldn't even do that. She held fast to not speaking evil about the situation. Then verse 29, Then he said to Gehazi, Gird up your loins, take my staff in your hand, and go your way. If you meet any man, salute him not. If any salute you, answer him not again. And lay my staff on the face of the child. So she knew, or he knew, 
that there was something wrong with the child. But he did not know exactly what it was. He just assumed it had to be bad because of the way the woman was acting. And the mother of the child said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. And he arose and followed her. And Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Why, he went again to meet him and told him that the child is not awake. When Elijah was come to the house, behold, the child was dead and laid on his bed. And he went in therefore and shut the door on the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, and his hands on his hands, and stretched himself on the child. And the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned and walked to the house to and fro, and went up and stretched himself on the child, and the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. So here again, notice this, that Elijah did not give up. He stayed in faith until he got the answer. Here was a man who had a double anointing, but for whatever reason, the answer didn't come instantly. First he shut the door and he prayed. Then it says he went up and he laid on the child, and the flesh of the child turned warm. Then he returned and it says he walked in the house back and forth, and then he went up again and stretched himself on the child, and it says the child sneezed seven times and finally opened his eyes. So sometimes, you know, people wonder why, and they come up with all kinds of reasons. Well, this is a stronger demon, or it's not God's timing, or, you know, the Bible doesn't say any of those things. It doesn't give why things take a long time sometimes, but it gives us plenty of reasons not to give up and to expect the victory every single time, because Jesus said that men are always to pray and never give up and never faint. Are people fainting today? Absolutely. Are they fainting in greater numbers than ever before? Probably yes. Verse 36, it says, And he called Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite, and he called her. And when she was come to him, she said, Take up your son. If you're struggling, learn the lesson from 2 Kings chapter 4. Don't explain in great detail to people about all your struggles, what doctors say, what lawyers say, or what anyone else says. Learn to speak faith or simply say it is well when you put your trust in God. Refuse to give up in the name of Jesus and refuse to give up on the promises of God. That's all for today. This is Jim again, and thank you for listening.